Thank you for that prayer this morning, Doug. I really appreciate it. Well, before we open up the Word of God this morning, uh, again to the Gospel of John, if you're visiting with us this morning, we've been doing a lengthy study through the Gospel of John, but before we do that, this morning during Sunday school, we had Ryan and Ampora Pennington. They are Bible translation missionaries with Bibles International. They presented their ministry to us. Uh, it was also live streamed, so if you want to go on YouTube and watch it later, if you weren't able to be here, you can do that. But I'm going to have the Pennington stand over here, just so you can see who they are. And uh, they will be out at their table after the service. I really strongly encourage you to get to know them if you have any questions for them. But just to greet them this morning, we are going to be considering them for financial support as a church. So thank you. Appreciate it. Secondly, before I get into the message, last Sunday morning was Mother's Day, and I challenged all of our mothers, and, and by way of challenging all of our mothers, challenging all of us to consider memorizing John 15, verses 1 through 11. As I mentioned to you, I believe it is one of the most critical passages in Scripture for living a victorious Christian life, a life that is pleasing to God, because folks, if we don't abide in Christ, if we don't abide in Christ, we are not going to live a life that is pleasing to God. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so that's kind of the challenge to our church for this summer, to try and memorize John 15, verses 1 through 11. Ryan happened to mention during Sunday school the importance of scripture memorization in his own growth as a young man. And I want to say to you, as I did last week, you can do this. But I don't say this just as, oh, come on, team, we can do this. Rather, scripture memorization should be an important part of all of our lives. It should be an important part of my life as a pastor. And it's something, it's a, an important way, not the only way, but a very important way of abiding in Christ is memorizing and meditating on his word and praying his word back to him. I just think that's so important. Remember what we learned. To abide in Christ, or we abide in Christ by abiding in his word. And when we abide in Christ by abiding in his word, we abide in his love. And when we abide in Christ by abiding in his word and we abide in his love, he fills us with joy. It's all in that section, John 15, 1 through 11. So even if it takes you the whole summer, I really want to encourage you to give it a try. I've already had some people email me, talk to me, saying, hey, I've, I've already started. And that's encouraging. So I just wanted to share that. I also want to share that Feel free to memorize it in whatever Bible translation you use for your daily time with the Lord. So you can memorize it in the ESV, which we use in our preaching here. You can, if you prefer the King James Version, you can use that, or the New King James Version, or the New International Version. Whatever it is that you use, feel free. I, I want this to be a part of your life. I want it to become part of you. 
So if it takes you all summer, it's well worth it if you have it for the rest of your lives. So this morning, we are in John 16. John 16, and we're going to look at the ministry of the Helper, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, part one. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this week. Next week, we're going to look at verses 8 through 15. So it's part 1 and part 2 of the Helper, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we're in John 16. And as I have shared with you, and it's so important to understand the setting here. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. John chapter 13 through John chapter 17 form what is known as the upper room discourse or sometimes referred to as the farewell discourse. But what's important to know is it all takes place in one evening. This is the night before Jesus is crucified. He is with his disciples. He is sharing his heart with them. And in verses 1 through 7 of John 16, he says to them, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Well, our first point this morning is a heartfelt warning. In deep love, Jesus continues to warn his disciples about the opposition and persecution they are about to face. And he says in verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And when we're interpreting a text, when we're teaching on a text, preaching on a text, I've shared this with you before, it is so important to try to grasp, to try to understand the mood of the text. This is obviously not a joyous occasion. But neither is it a scolding. This is deep, compassionate love that Jesus has for his disciples because they are about to face the most difficult time of their lives. He's about to be crucified. They are going to face intense persecution. He loves them dearly. They are sharing together the Passover Supper, which becomes the Lord's Supper. So this is a very intimate, love-filled, divinely love-filled scene that we are engaging in. And he says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. All of these things refers to everything he said from chapter 13 
through where he's at in chapter 16. He has washed their feet in great humility. He has commanded them to love one another and told them that by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. He has told them that one among you is a betrayer. We had those difficult passages on Judas Iscariot and saw where Satan entered into him. Judas is gone now. He's left. He's just speaking to the eleven. He has said to them, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. He has said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And then that section that we're going to try to memorize, John 15, abide in the true vine. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Abide in me and I in you, for apart from me you can do nothing. And now, he says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They are about to experience intense persecution. And though likely none of us here have ever gone through intense physical, mental persecution for our faith, as you read the annals of church history, and we can understand in our own minds, it is very difficult to keep following when you're being persecuted. There are all kinds of stories throughout church history of people recanting their faith, of denying Christ under the heat of persecution. Yes, many, many great stories of those who did not give in, who stood true to Christ. But he said, I've said all these things to you to keep you, to keep you from falling away. Verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will put you out of the synagogues. We saw this back in chapter 9. Chapter 9, an important chapter. Jesus heals a man who, has been, who was born blind. He just didn't become blind. He was born blind. And Jesus performs this great miracle. And there's great excitement among the Jewish people. But there's great anger among the Jewish leadership. And so they call this man who can now see before them and he testifies powerfully for Christ. So then they begin to wonder if this man was ever really blind, if he really was born blind. So they call his parents in. And his parents are afraid. And they said, whoa. We know this is our son. We know he was born blind. But how he got his sight and who did it, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age. John 9, verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, 
he was to be put out of the synagogue. If anyone said that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior who was to come into the world, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And I shared with you then, and I share with you again, to be put out of the synagogue was more serious than we would ever understand. There's a term for it. It's called being unsynagogued. The synagogue was at the heart and soul of every Jewish person's life. It was a part of Hebrew life and culture. That's where you had your social interactions. That's where you interacted with people with whom you would do business. But most importantly, that was there where you attended and took part to be pleasing to God to learn about God, to seek to honor God. To be put out of the synagogue meant that you would be, for the most part, disowned by your own family, ostracized from the culture, denied business opportunities. You were an outcast. And Jesus said they will. He doesn't say they might but they will put you out of the synagogues. Now I want you to imagine with me, I want you to try to, as much as, much as we can with our sanctified imaginations, try to place ourselves in that upper room and he says to them, and he looks these men in the eyes and says, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. You're going to be killed. And we know from church history that all except the Apostle John were, who was exiled, John was exiled to the island of Patmos. He said, they're going to kill you and they're killing you. They're going to think they're doing service to God. You see, the scenario went something like this. We've learned there is only one true God. This Jesus claims that he's God. His followers claim that he is God. That's blasphemy. And blasphemy must be punished. And so when they crucify Jesus and when they will kill his follow followers, they will think that they are doing service to God. And verse 3 tells us, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. This takes us all the way back to John chapter 5. We had learned this throughout our study of the Gospel of John that Jesus and the Father are one. They're in complete harmony. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the perfect triune God. They are three distinct persons and yet one God. Jesus has says, the Father that you claim to worship, he's the one who sent me. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior who is to come into the world. I am the chosen one. I am the fulfillment of all those Old Testament scriptures foretelling and prophesying the coming of the Messiah, and yet you refuse to believe. They refused to believe because they had become more enamored with man-made traditions than they were with the actual word of God, which is a constant warning and reminder to all of us that we must go to the scriptures and scriptures alone. We must be careful with our own man-made traditions. But they are going to put you out of the synagogues and they are going to kill you because they have not truly known 
the Father, nor me. And in verse 4, that first part of verse 4, he says, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. When this happens, when they persecute you, when they put you out of the synagogues, I want you to remember that I told you. He was trying to help them, to give them strength. I told you. Don't be surprised when it happens. You know, one of the greatest encouragements of all Scripture is fulfilled prophecy. As we see prophecy fulfilled from Old and New Testaments, it encourages us in our own confidence and steadfastness in the Word of God and believing in the inerrancy and infallibility of the Word of God when we see Scripture fulfilled. In a sense, this is a form of prophecy. I'm telling you before it happens. So when it happens, you will know. As difficult as it is, this is all part of the divine plan of the Father. So, in the upper room, Jesus chose this specific time to fully reveal these things to his disciples. He didn't reveal all these things before, but he reveals them now. And he specifically chooses this divine opportunity to share these difficult things with them. In the second part of verse 4, it says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. He said, I didn't tell you about this hostility, this persecution that was coming because I was with you. And I think this has at least a twofold application. First, he didn't tell them two years ago, three years ago in his ministry. Because if he did, they wouldn't have focused on anything else. They'd have been overwhelmed by it. They wouldn't have focused on his teaching. They wouldn't have focused on his miracles. They would have been disheartened and discouraged. He purposely didn't tell, this, tell them this early in his ministry to protect them. So that their focus would be on him and who he is. And their need for him as a savior. Secondly, he didn't tell them these things from the beginning because when he was with them, he was the focus of the persecution and the opposition. All the hatred, all the opposition was focused on Jesus. But now he says to him, I'm leaving and they're going to focus on you. I took the brunt of all of this. And now, because you belong to me, their vengeance, their wrath will be focused on you. And in verses 5 and 6, he says, But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So we get a precious insight in 
to what is happening at this particular point in Jesus' teaching in the upper room. Their hearts are filled with sorrow. Mine would have been too. And so would yours. This is heavy stuff. To be told that you're going to be put out of the synagogues, that they're going to kill you. Those are hard things. And he says, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks you, where are you going? See, before, in John chapters 13 and 14, when Jesus said he was going away, they said, well, where are you going? Can we come with you? Why can't we go with you? But now they're not asking that. Because their total focus is on themselves. And he wants them to ask. He would like them to ask because he wants their focus not to be on themselves but on him. I think he was hoping they would say, why are you going to the Father and What's it going to be like for you to go back to the Father? What's it going to be like for you to return to glory? But right now, their total focus is on themselves. Our second point this morning is, I go away. I go away. Jesus reveals the important biblical truth that he must go away so that the helper can come. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus responds to all of this difficult teaching he has just taught them by saying, nevertheless, I want you to know it's to your advantage. It is very important that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John MacArthur, in teaching on this section of Scripture, says that John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, is one of the most important teachings in all of the Bible, in the entire Bible, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're looking at it in two parts. Verse 7 today, verses 8 through 11, and then on to 15 next week. This is a very important verse. Verse 7. Before we look at it in more depth, I want us to recall what we've learned so far. This is not the first time Jesus has brought up the helper in the upper room going to be some verses on the screen just to help us realize where we're at right now in understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 14 verses 15 through 17. Jesus says to them, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Wow, there's at least four important teachings there. The Holy Spirit, the helper, is going to be with us forever, forever. He's the spirit of truth. 
The Holy Spirit always guides, directs, leads us in complete and perfect harmony with the Word of God. Never outside of the Word of God. Never. He's called the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot receive him, and it doesn't know him. So the people outside in the world, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Which helps us to understand 1 Corinthians chapter 2, why the word of God is foolishness to them, and they can't understand it. Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. And then, fourth, he dwells with you, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, now he dwells with us, future tense, but he will be in you. Hold on to that this morning. He will be, he will be in you. John 14, 26, we looked at this. Jesus says to them, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And this can have a twofold understanding. It would be the Holy Spirit, the helper, who would help those disciples who would be inspired writers of Scripture. He would help them to recall all of their teaching so that they could divinely record what Jesus had told them and taught them. But it also has to do with what we call in biblical Christianity the doctrine of illumination or the Bible's teaching on illumination. One of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate the scriptures for us. So when you read the word of God and you meditate deeply and you come before the Lord and the word of God, it is the Holy Spirit who ministers the word of God, who opens up your eyes and open up, opens up your hearts. And when you say, I never saw that before. Wow, that's clearer to me than ever before. Wow, it's like I've seen this for the first time. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26. Jesus says to them, But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, notice again the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit of truth will not only be with us forever, he will not only live within us, he will be the reason we are able to witness, to evangelize, to share our faith. It's not me doing it. It is the Spirit of God working through me. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, you cannot be an effective evangelist. You cannot effectively share your faith because it is the Holy Spirit who empowers your words and it is the Holy Spirit, we'll see this next week, who convicts that person to whom you're talking. His work is not just important, it's absolutely critical and essential. So Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. It is very important to you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now remember, their hearts are full of sorrow. More than anything, they want Jesus just to stay with them. 
don't leave us. Don't leave us. We've followed you. We've given up everything for you. Don't leave us. He's saying, I have to. It's to your advantage. It's God's plan that I leave. So then we come to this very important question. Why is it so important that Jesus go away so that the helper can come? Why was it absolutely imperative that Jesus leave so that he could send to them the helper, the Holy Spirit? This is a very critical part of our understanding of the ministry, the doctrine, the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Why did he have to go away? I'm going to give you five reasons. There are more than five, but I'm going to give you five important reasons why Jesus had to go away and why he had to send the Holy Spirit. And this is important for all of us to know. The first is the most important, the most important of them all. These aren't in any particular order of importance, but this first one is the most important. Jesus had to go away so that he could accomplish our salvation and the Holy Spirit can apply his finished work to our lives. He had to leave them so that he could be crucified. He had to leave them so that he could rise from the dead. And we think of the importance of the totality of the life and work of Christ to our salvation. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death. He was raised victoriously from the grave. He, rose, he ascended gloriously to the right hand of the Father. All of that is encompassed. Though our salvation was purchased for us in his death and resurrection, all of that contributes to the finished, completed work of Christ in his death and resurrection. He had to go away. He had to die. And then it's the Holy Spirit at the moment that you are converted, at the moment that you receive him as Lord and Savior, that takes the finished work of Christ in his death and resurrection and applies it to your life. It becomes yours. All of it, all of it becomes yours. He had to go away. Number two, Jesus had to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come and indwell every believer beginning at Pentecost. When the tongues of fire came and rested upon them while they were in the upper room. And from that point forward, every time a man or a woman or a boy or a girl asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, immediately the Holy Spirit comes to indwell them. And we learned when we went through our series in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, it is the Holy Spirit who seals us until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit at the point of salvation actually comes to indwell you. He had to go away. Number three, Jesus had to go away so that he can live in every believer by means of the indwelling spirit. We have seen this already in the Gospel of John. He said, 
that I am going to come and live in you. How does Jesus live in you? Physically, Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father in the, mo in the place of greatest authority in the universe. Spiritually, he's in you. He lives within you. His resurrected life is in you by means of the Holy Spirit. Remember when we went? Or we looked at that series on being a disciple and we spent so much time on that one phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Jesus says, Behold, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. How could he be with them? He can be, when he was on the earth, he could only be at one place at one time. How could he be with them forever? Through the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit by which he, excuse me, by which he lives in us. Number four, Jesus had to go away so that the power of God can reside in you. The Holy Spirit brings with him the power of God, and the power of God resides within us. You know Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How? How can we be his witnesses to the ends of the earth? Because you will receive power. The power of God when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then five. Christ had to go away so that we can have constant access Constant access to God's strength, to God's peace, to God's guidance, and to God's wisdom. That which we take so for granted. Wherever I go and whatever I'm doing, I can pray and I can look to the Lord. Oh, Lord, help me to know your strength. Lord, I need your peace. The peace that passes all understanding. Father, I need your guidance. I've got important decisions to make. I'm talking to someone and I don't have the words. I don't know what to say. Guide me. Show me. Lord, I need your wisdom. I don't know what to do in this situation. I need your wisdom. We're able to do all those things, pray all those things, because the Holy Spirit indwells us, and by means of the Holy Spirit, Jesus lives in us. Oh, he had to go away. He had to go away. Now let me put this all together as we close this morning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. They're going to kill you. In fact, when they kill you, they're going to think they're going to be offering service to God. They will be hostile toward you. They will hate you. Nevertheless, you are not going to do this alone. You are not going to do this alone. I will be with you, just not in the way that you see me now. 
I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage. It is to your great advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when I send him to you, I will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great and wise plan to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. Thank you that Jesus sent us the promised Holy Spirit. And thank you. We thank you, Lord, more than we could ever articulate for the ongoing presence and ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.